Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and a co-host take turns introducing each other to films, and in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of December, which means it is time for another Tales from the Shelf episode. Um, in joining me in uh, doing this new episode for this month of December 2020, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? Oh, I'm doing excellent. Glad to be back and uh, ready to talk about some Blu-rays in my collection. Fantastic. Same here. So uh, I think the last time I had the pick for uh, the topic of discussion, which was uh, music and composers in film. And uh, man, that was a good that was a good time. Uh, yeah, I'm really glad fun. you could join me on that because it seemed like something that, I don't know, a topic that you and I don't often get to talk about, but it's clearly something that we're both very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of passion, uh, Brad got the pick for the topic of this month's episode, uh, this month's Tales from the Shelf. And uh, Brad, what is it we're going to be talking about today? So uh, we each picked a filmmaker who is very well represented in our collection. Um, And I think because they're well represented, you could say that they are a fave filmmaker of ours. Um, So, yeah, we just uh, are each spotlighting a presumably different director. Um, We haven't actually revealed who we picked, but I'm assuming we each picked somebody else. Um, So, yeah, each one will just uh, highlight those films from that director that are in our collection okay so here's where we both reveal that we both selected brett ratner (laughs) 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 or chris columbus or one of those how did you know how did you know (laughs) or your uh john turtletop maybe (laughs) (laughs) one of those working guys (laughs) uh so are we gonna have to flip a coin here you're gonna show me yours or am i gonna show you mine um, I mean, hey, th- that could be taken out of context right there, that audio <laughs> clip. But uh, audio only, folks. <laughs> why don't uh, why don't why don't you uh, go first? Why don't you uh, show me your? <laughs> <laughs> that was very intentional. It's funny too, because normally I go, I don't go for that low hanging fruit. Like normally, I, I kind of like edge away from those things. Yeah. Like my brain knows what it's doing, but it's like mm, not today. It's like I'm not going to give him that, but. You know, it seemed right for the occasion. You got to do um, it. You got to do it. You got to do it sometimes, you know. (laughs) Uh, So um, it's funny that we're calling this episode Fave Filmmakers, which I I think is accurate. Like, uh, this is a case of uh, me discovering, like, I wasn't aware of this until I started pulling things off the shelf because I have a a stack of about 10 films here. Um, I wasn't aware that this guy was apparently one of my favorites. Um, (laughs) I want to say that he's not. But there's something about him that apparently works for me because I consume a lot of his products and own a lot of his products. Uh, so to reveal the grand mystery, um, that filmmaker would be uh, Dante Lam. Uh, Dante Lam is a Hong Kong filmmaker. Uh, I consume a lot of Hong Kong films, very few mainland China films. Uh, I think there's a very important distinction, uh, especially these days, because uh, the Hong Kong film scene is in dire straits <laughs> like 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 the hong kong film industry is like kind of under attack by by like mainland chinese censorship and whatnot um and just the the allure of the box office is not to be denied so the same complaints that we all have here about domestic like hollywood productions they have there uh, for hong kong productions where they there's almost like a term for it i don't know how it, how widespread the term is but 
um, in reading reviews for a lot of these Hong Kong films, you'll see a phrase, Chi- China pandering or fluffing, <laughs> where basically it's a Hong Kong film, but then there'll be like a, a mainland Chinese like government agent who shows up to deus ex machina everything away because, you know, that's how things work. It's like, that's mm-hmm. what happens when you have kind of a dictatorship going on. Um, and a lot of times you'll see that in the casting as well, where you'll have a lot of mainland Chinese actors who maybe don't speak the best Cantonese uh, showing up in Hong Kong films just because like she's she she's hot and she represents the demographic or whatever. Um, but the reason why I'm going on and on and on about this is because Dante Lamb's filmography uh, has certainly been affected by the, the like the cultural tide that's kind of swept over the Hong Kong film scene. Um, and we're going to see that as I talk about his films. I have them stacked in order of release, and I figure I'll just go through them in that order. Um, we'll see that uh, in the form of him kind of making a gradual transition into becoming the the Michael Bay of China. <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of a it's kind of remarkable actually. Really? Like he literally is that. Like like his past, I want to say three movies now in a row. Uh, have essentially been like Chinese uh, public servant and or military uh, propaganda films. Um, But before, he didn't really do that. He used to direct a lot of comedies and cop dramas and stuff, like largely focused on like the Hong Kong film scene. Uh, So unfortunately, um, probably his best movie and one of his earliest ones is one that I don't own because I've been holding out hope for a Blu-ray release for decades now and it's Mm -hmm. never happened as far as i know which is amazing being as it's like his best movie um that would be beast cops so i I, unfortunately i can't show it to you but i'll just say like right off the bat like that is maybe his best movie it came out in i think 1998 um but to start things off uh i may as well just talk about a couple of his films here that i have Uh, so there these are the earliest films of his that i own Uh, i've seen beast cops but uh, some of those DVDs for about $45 on eBay. Um, Ooh, I'm not wow. paying that for a shit quality DVD with yeah. probably busted-ass subtitles. <laughs> um, but the the subject matter and the content of it might make a like a, a domestic Hong Kong release on Blu-ray difficult because it is pretty fucking edgy. Okay. Um, and Chinese censorship boards aren't especially fond of some of the content that they talk about. <laughs> but uh, So the, the earliest movie I have of his is... Uh, this one here, I'll just show you, uh, Sniper. And uh, this is a this is an interesting movie because if I remember right, um, well, I mean, right off the bat, I'll just say it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a cop drama with the gimmick being uh, instead of like traditional cops and robbers type stuff, it's about like a, it's like imagine the movie SWAT, except okay. for it's exclusively about the sniper element of the SWAT team and. Uh, yeah, there's a bad guy sniper and a good guy sniper, and they kind of go head to head. So it's like Enemy at the Gates or SWAT, um, with Chinese snipers in modern day Hong Kong. I'm kind of in. I'm kind of in based on that. Yeah, uh, it's it's very stylishly shot. Um, has a lot of man abs. Uh, so you know, if you have somebody watching with you that's into that or something, uh, they'll be happy with that. <laughs> and uh, the reason why I say it's funny though is I seem to remember this coming out. Um, when one of the major actors in it, Edison Chen, uh, was going through like some sort of sex scandal, 
Mm. And uh, like the domestic Chinese audiences kind of like turned their back on him. It was like, okay, so imagine like in the flip phone era, like dick pic type situation. Yeah. But in the flip phone era. Really? Um, okay. Because this was 2008. Um, and I seem to remember it being something along those lines. So he like he did he did what like a Tom Brady or was it it was a Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers <laughs> the sense of tick pick. Uh, well, I was thinking I was thinking uh, Anthony Weiner or whatever. Oh um, yeah, he's he's the bad one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's it the would one be like actually if he was an actor. Yeah. yeah, he's the one that actually suffered repercussions. And in this case, Edison Chen, as far as I remember, and I could be I could be um, misremembering it, um, his screen time got cut way down. Like, he's mm. on the poster, but he's, like, the small guy on the poster. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but apparently he was supposed to play a much bigger role in the plot. It doesn't matter. This is this is very much a just a testosterone-fueled action movie. Um, it's very light in terms of depth, but the, the action scenes are pretty well put together, and uh, it's pretty gory. Like, there's some juicy squibs in there. Nice. Um, and it has that classic uh, Hong Kong melodrama going for it. So there's a lot of man tears. There's a there's a lot of why shouting to the heavens <laughs> <laughs> in between lots of gunfire. Um, it's not a John Woo movie though, so no doves. Um, <laughs> that's exclusively a John Woo thing. Yeah, um, he, yeah, he's got that trademark. He owns that. Oh yeah, but um, <laughs> Sniper's not amazing, uh, but it was good enough that I decided to add it to my collection um, many years after the fact. Like I didn't get that when it first came out I, I let that one stew for a bit where i was like hmm i think i like dante lamb now i guess i'll get sniper <laughs> but, um but yeah that's the earliest film of his that i own uh and being as we ha- presumably both have a lot of movies to go back and forth about I'll, I'll just uh throw in one more before i pass it to you um i have a uh import disc here uh uh by the way uh my uh, sniper disc is also a Hong Kong disc. Um, mm, this one okay. is as well. Uh, this would be the Beast Stalker. Um, so you could argue that you know maybe he's trying to make a spiritual connection between the earlier Beast Cops and this film Beast Stalker. Um, this movie's excellent. Uh, it's about a it's about like a high profile kidnapping, um, and it has kind of that. I'm I'm struggling to pick a, a comparable uh, connection, but. Kind of like uh, Magnolia or uh, Crash, I guess. I haven't seen okay. Crash, but yeah. basically it's a lot of stories that have a converging point Yeah, that it's not revealed until a little bit later exactly what the connection might be, but when it is, it's it's a fucking doozy. Um, and uh, Sounds good. This sounds it, good. It's an awesome, like, cops and robbers, like, kidnapping story. The, the kidnapped person is a is this little girl who's very, very charming. But um, the guy who plays the kidnapper is magnificent. Um, I I bought this movie because of him more so than the director. Um, Nick mm-hmm. Chung uh, plays the kidnapper, and uh, he he is a hell of an actor. Uh, he's, like, diminutive, and he has the, he has that kind of face where he has looked old since the womb. <laughs> like, 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 he just has those kinds of lines on his face where it's like, were you ever young? <laughs> um, but as an actor, it, it really works. Like, it, it plays to his strengths, and uh, he's a chameleon. He's kind of, he has almost, like, a Gary Oldman quality to him where yeah. he, if you ask him to do something, he'll find a way to do it, and he'll do it really fucking well. <laughs> Um, and he's going to pop up in this list a few times. Um, but one of those movies, I'll, I'll tell you which one it is, was 
largely the reason why I bounced backwards to check this one out. And I'm so glad that I did because uh, this was one that I had to hunt for. Like I had to go into the depths of eBay and like I was considering buying like Italian Blu-rays of this because um, I just could not fucking find it. Um, But in in terms of like uh, best movies in his filmography, this is way the fuck up there. Um, now it's uh, it's a lot, a lot of these Blu-rays uh, are they blind buys for you? Like, are you buying them without having seen them before? Uh, almost all of them. Okay, uh, that's that's something I've been doing since I was a kid. Um, I used to have a uh, an email subscription to like a newsletter um, from some guy somewhere in the United States that was uh, printing bootleg DVDs of Godzilla movies. Okay, and I would uh, poke my dad and make him march to the bank to get me a money order to mail to this guy somewhere in the you know, like in the United States. I can't even remember where. Um, and, you know, my dad would give me the skeptical hippo eyes and be like, like, you want me to send money where? For what reason? Uh, and then, you know, a couple weeks later, it, it did take a few weeks. Uh, I would magically get Godzilla bootlegs in the mail. Um, I'm I'm just picturing like uh, a Buffalo Bill figure, but instead of like making a human skin suit in his basement, he's printing bootleg Godzilla DVDs. Yeah, and he just has the Godzilla march on a constant loop, yeah. <laughs> like all day long, just dun 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 dun. And of course, he's like in his underwear and like a wife beater because you know printing DVDs, those machines run hot, man. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, and it's That's a hot fair. seller. You got to crank out millions of those things. <laughs> Bootleg Godzilla DVDs sell by the they sell like hotcakes, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that I was doing that when I was like 13 or 14. Um, and then I kind of started expanding into movies of other genres because he started like expanding his catalog. And uh, it's been a long tradition for me to just like read up on something and just kind of roll the dice and yeah. see if it works out for me. And I, I, I have it in me to never be that disappointed because, you know, I... I do my research. I make in- I make intelligent decisions with my money for the most part, for the most yeah. part. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, this one was one that I, I think I watched a trailer and I knew it by reputation and I decided to check it out. And holy shit, uh, it ended up being one of my favorite movies of Dante Lamb's filmography. Um, needs to be said to um, some of the other people in here. Uh, Nicholas Say is a... The, uh, the main character of the movie kind of I, I have seen him in many many movies he's he's kind of goofy because he, he like has the pop star look to him but he tries so goddamn hard like I, I don't think he's the very best actor but mm-hmm. he always tries so hard <laughs> it's like you know it's like I appreciate your effort he's kind of like a I mean, this is mean, but like like a Ryan Phillippe or something, but probably yeah. a little bit be- a little bit better because like oh yeah, Ryan Phillippe kind of fell off pretty hard, but like it, it, kind of that same tier where it's like you're really handsome and you try hard, and I appreciate <laughs> that, but I will never buy a movie because you're in it. <laughs> yeah, like, Justin yeah. Timberlake look alike. <laughs> the only good thing that Ryan Phillippe has done, maybe ever, certainly recently is his uh, recent Good Morning America appearance where his uh, it's, you know, all video call, and he's on a new TV show, and one of his co-stars spoils a huge twist on Good Morning America, and his reactions were, you can tell, he was, like, 
really pissed, but he was trying to hold it in. Uh, pretty good. Probably his best work, I would say. <laughs> what about Wish Upon, where he plays the, the dumpster diving dad? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've seen that one, actually. Uh, do yourself a favor, Brad. Um, hate watch uh, Wish Upon. Um, it I is not good. One, is that the one where it's like you gr- the, a genie grants the wish and it's like a horror movie and it kills kind people? Kind of. Or it's, a, it's like a Chinese music box. Yeah, yeah. And it has the girl that's in everything. Um, <laughs> you'll know who I'm talking about if you look up her face. I but. think I know. I, I Hang on. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I kind of so remember like if you need, If out. you need a diminutive teenage girl, she's your gal. Because yeah. <laughs> like she is literally in everything, and then I think he plays her dad, and his whole story arc is that he he's a hoarder slash dumpster diver, and he has a buddy to help him too, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he continually embarrasses her. So they try to make Ryan Phillippe look less than handsome, and it it doesn't work because he's unnaturally handsome as is, <laughs> um, <laughs> which you know sometimes that can be a problem for for an actor. It's like man, like. We can't cast you in anything. <laughs> you don't look like a normal person. So, have you seen this movie, Wish Upon? I know we're getting yes. we're off we're off track here, I, but I've seen it. I've seen it twice because it makes me laugh. <laughs> I'm 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 kind of curious to check this out. Actually, um, it's terrible. So go in knowing that, but you'll laugh at it at the very least. And uh, Joey King, it was the actress I was thinking of. Joey King, you're you are spot yeah, on there. The, the the gal that does all the things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I've ranted and rambled for quite long enough, Brad, so I'm going to pass the baton to you, and uh, feel free to do more than one movie at, at a time if you like. All right. Well, I will say your filmmaker, Dante Lamb, my filmmaker, also starts with a D. No, it is not David Duchovny. It is uh, who has directed at least a couple things. Um, it is uh, one of my favorites, David Lynch, who... Uh, you know, uh, if I could have picked David Cronenberg and still had a director whose name starts with a D, but I went the David Lynch route just because I do own really everything of his that has been released in North America, at least on Blu-ray. So I've got pretty much his complete collection. And in terms of having stuff to say about his movies, I, you know, I can I can wing it. I don't need to rewatch everything. I um so uh, let's just start at the beginning, and uh, his what I believe are his first two films are both in the Criterion Collection. So let's pair them up together, and it's Eraserhead and The Elephant Man, which just came out uh, on Criterion actually. So uh, Eraserhead, uh, I definitely not the first David Lynch film I saw. It was, I was pretty familiar with his work when I watched it, but um, I've always been pretty blown away by this film. Um, and it kind of just, you know, the thing with David Lynch is he's got some, he's got things in his films that are scary. He's got a sense of humor to them. And that mixture just really works for me. It's almost like he kind of mixes two of my favorite things just perfectly. And in terms of like having an aesthetic that, like a director that has an aesthetic that matches my own, I would say David Lynch would be it. Like if I were to, if I could make the perfect film for me, it would probably be pretty close to a David Lynch film. And uh, all that stuff is very uh, apparent in his first feature. It is very unsettling, but there are moments of humor. And um, I've, I've never felt, like, cold with it. Like, I could see where some people, you know, it would just be too surreal and out there for them, but it's always worked for me. And um, 
I probably watched the film a couple times before I realized that uh, the actor Jack Nance is also uh, in Twin Peaks, but he's just much older um, and just with less crazy hair. I had no idea until uh, that he was a fre- that he's a frequent Lynch collaborator. Um, but uh, yeah, I love Eraserhead and the Elephant Man, um, also in black and white, and you know, kind of on on a surface level, it is Lynch sort of going for, uh, you know, an Oscar Beatty thing, for lack of a better term. But I still think he does make the film his own. And um, the bookends of the film, I think, are really what make it Lynchian. And I think it's what takes the film to the next level, these surreal uh, opening and closing. And uh, have you ever seen it? Do you know what I'm talking about with those openings? I haven't, actually. I've seen excerpts of from it, but it's very high on my list of things I'd very much like to check out. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of a biopic and stuff, it's very well done. Um, it's a it's a very interesting story, and I think the performances are great, and it is uh, pretty emotional. It Like, um, John Hurt is very good in it, and you, you feel for him, and uh, I think it looks beautiful. Have not checked out the Criterion yet, because it just came out, and I just picked it up in the uh, Criterion sale, but I am very... Very curious to uh, pop this one in, um, and you know, thing I've been doing lately is trying to force feed every David Lynch film up to five stars, except for uh, Dune would probably be the only one that would probably never get there. But uh, you never know. Um, the Elephant Man. Last time I watched it, I, it was close. I think I gave it a four point five. So this watch could be the one um, for me, but we will see. I guess. Well, I mean, you add in some crisp uh, criterion image quality and a few supplements here and there. That's true. And, uh, I, th- I think that'll beef it up to a five. It probably uh, will I'm, get I'm, the criterion bump. Yeah. That's, it's bound to happen. Yeah. It, it, it'll get there, Brad. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I have, I, I have high hopes for the elephant man, but um, funny story. I think my parents went to see uh, the eraser head uh, on a date night. <laughs> Interesting. They, they uh they still talk about that one where it's like what the fuck was that i think yeah i think you told me that before yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that is the funniest the... like did they know what it was going in or was it just like oh let's check out this movie no uh they had no idea what it was um and i think they went to see uh motel hell the same way okay. <laughs> except that one i think was the story about the stinky man <laughs> there, there is a person in the audience that uh, they don't remember that movie at all, uh, other than like the opening. Um, but yeah. they do remember that maybe the smelliest human being that ever lived sat next to them. <laughs> <laughs> so they retain no memory of the film of the ninety minutes they were in that position. But they they remember that sh- that smell. Now, um, uh, when they saw Eraserhead, I'm assuming this was uh, before you were born, right? This was like not a re-release or something, right? So yeah, based on the themes of the movie. You're lucky that you exist after, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you all, David Lynch might have almost like erased you. That's why it's eraser head. He almost erased you from existence. <laughs> Me specifically. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that movie is truly horrifying at times. Yeah. Um, to this day, I don't quite understand what some of it is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, the photography is, is lush. Like I love the sawdust in the air under oh, yeah. pretty much every light source in the film. Uh, the black and white is it's it has those inky blacks and I, i've only seen this like probably on a dvd like i haven't seen mm-hmm. it in hd even um but yeah it's it's a fascinating film 
I I would go back and rewatch it, uh, not eagerly, but it is something that I remember having a lot of thoughts turn over in my head when I was experiencing it. And yeah, um, I think to this day, like maybe the supplements on the Criterion disc will will shatter this illusion in my mind. But I I seem to recall the the uh, origin of the uh, the baby uh, prop being still kind of de- up for debate. Mm-hmm. Like how it was actually built, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. It's a very weird effect. I think that's part of the reason why it's so unsettling. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of the supplements on the uh, Blu-ray get into that. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I, I love that visually, that baby. It's, it's amazing. Oh, and the, some of the things it does and when it gets sick, it's, it's like, yeah. fuck, dude. <laughs> like, stop. For the yeah. love of God, stop. I mean, but, for a first film, just like what a just like uncompromising vision. Like... He just, you know, basically threw everything he wanted. Like, there's no no way anybody else was, like, critiquing him at all and saying, oh, you know, maybe the we should have the baby do this. And, like, obviously, like, that was his film, which I think you could say for pretty much, I mean, quite a bit of his filmography is just, it's him. Like, he's pretty uncompromising, except for maybe Dune. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately haven't seen that many of his movies. Um mm-hmm. I have seen uh, Twin Peaks season one and two. I haven't seen mm-hmm. the, the last one, though, which I'd very much like to check out because I, I really liked both seasons of Twin Peaks, even though the second one has such a lousy reputation for the most part. Um, but in interviews, that man is amazing. Like, oh, he is, he, he is often, he is so fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, and what's so special about him is like, I don't think it's i don't think much of it is intentional like i don't think he's ever putting on a show i think he's just david lynch yes yeah, it's just just his way <laughs> and he's great i love it <laughs> i wouldn't yeah. want to actually talk to the man one-on-one i'd probably never have a clue what's going through his head <laughs> I'd never be able to keep up but watching other people have to suffer through that whoa it's hilarious yeah, <laughs> yeah. and just hearing him talk about some I, I can't remember what movie it is but there's like one movie where he does Maybe it is Eraserhead because I think he's talking about going out to like lunch with Jack Nance, but he's been in like they're friends and he's been in a lot of stuff. So maybe not Eraserhead, but he's explaining his process behind like coming up with this idea or whatever. And he's like, we went out to the big boy and we were going to hash out these ideas and they always have great soup at big boy. And he just like goes off on his like meal. It's the funniest thing ever. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And yeah, the way he's the way he talks, it's like his character on Twin Peaks. Just yeah. Like, except that's just like an exaggerated version of him. But um, I can't remember if it's Eraserhead or I. I correct me if I'm wrong because I probably am. But I seem to remember a story about him attending a screening for one of his films, and sitting in the back row and laughing uproariously throughout the entire thing. Um, and then somebody in the audience like turned around to say shh, and they're like, oh. That's that's the guy who made it, <laughs> and I I think it was Eraser. I could be wrong. <laughs> that's amazing. I don't know if I heard that before. That's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like while the baby's head is like stretching across the room. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, no. I think it was that one, but I I'm positive he did that at least one of his films. But, oh, I'm um, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I hope you get around to watching uh, the Elephant Man uh, on the Criterion disc sometime soon. Yes, uh, you know you, you got to get that five, man. You got to get up there. 
Oh, we'll, we'll get it there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get there. Dune, Dune might be like on your deathbed or something. Like, if Letterbox still exists, like if the app still exists, you can use like I don't know the uh, AR interface yeah. projected through your eyes to like sweep, like swipe a five across. Like... Yeah, it'll be my lasting <laughs> legacy. The guy who gave every David Lynch movie five stars. That'll be it. <laughs> And uh, David Lynch the second will have to <laughs> have to yeah. be made aware of that somehow. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I guess the ball's to me again. Uh, so back back to the Dante Lamb train. Uh, so I'll do. Uh, I guess I'll do three movies here because uh, none of these are all that great. <laughs> Just disclaimer. Uh, so. Um, just to give you an idea of the timeline here, Sniper came out in 2008. Beast Stalker actually apparently came out the same year. That's remarkable. And he has a third movie credited at 2008 as well. Busy fucking guy. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lull. Uh, 2009, nothing came out. Uh, but 2010 brings us uh, this guy here, uh, Fire of Conscience. And I actually own this on DVD and Blu-ray, um, which is kind of weird because it's not the best movie uh, but but it has some like pretty banging moments here and there mm-hmm. um there is a shootout in a restaurant that is fucking awesome <laughs> like it's extremely gory every time an explosion occurs in this film oh um you were not prepared for like how far they go with some of the gore where it's like oh limbs are missing <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting because it's it really comes out of left field where it's like yeah. you you a lot of movies kind of make a decision, I think, in production where it's like, okay, we're going to make it really dramatic whenever something violent happens. Uh, and then there's other productions where they're like, mm, can we have like dust squibs instead of blood squibs? Uh, this one is not that. This one's like every time something bad and violent happens, it's it's dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. People explode, limbs are torn asunder. Um, and this has that classic uh, Hong Kong melodrama uh, dialed up to 11 um, there's a like the the main character of it has this uh, kind of traumatic event that has derailed his life and uh, such that he uh, he lives in a van down by the river. <laughs> oh, there you <laughs> go. So so our our uh, hero cop has like a hobo beard and he lives in a van down by the river because something <laughs> bad happened to his family. Um, and it makes him like you know that kind of hero cop where it's like he has things to atone for, so he he takes big risks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main character is played by Leon Lai, uh, who I don't know him that well. I've only seen him in a couple of movies, but I guess it's like common knowledge uh, among like Hong Kong film critics that he he has a particular brand of overacting where like he does like a dead face thing where it's like I get it, you're trying to be like smoldering and intense right now, but you just look like like you forgot your emotions at the door like you just kind of look checked out mm-hmm. um but i he works in this movie kind of the hobo beard helps a little bit but <laughs> um, and uh, richie jen plays our uh, our antagonist and he was actually the protagonist in sniper um so connections revolutions yeah. um but yeah this one's like kind of it's not a boilerplate like cops and robbers kind of tale um the melodrama is mostly what what makes the difference honestly uh that and the violence uh but it in terms of pacing it just doesn't really find its groove ever um it's shot really well i'll give it that much but 
uh, there are better Hong Kong cops and robbers movies out there. Um, so, like, as compared to the one that came before, Beast Stalker, it's like, hmm, like, oh, this isn't quite as good, but it, it's it's serviceable. Give yeah. it that much. Um, but next up, I have The Stool Pigeon, and uh, this is uh, one of two uh, US, uh, USA-printed uh, Blu-ray discs I have of his movies. Okay. Um, a handful of his movies have come out in this country, and uh, this is one of the ones that I own. Uh, all the other ones are Hong Kong discs. Um, this uh, is part of the massive wave of uh, informant, uh, like subgenre, uh, cops and robbers stories uh, that were all over the place in Hong Kong, like after Infernal Affairs. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, the trilogy that inspired The Departed. Yeah. Um, which, if you ask me, The Departed is better. <laughs> like that movie is fantastic. I don't know how you feel about it, but. Um, the way The Departed it's, is uh, edited, um, there's there's so many jumps in time that I absolutely love where it's like, wow, there's no fat on this thing. Like, we, mm-hmm. we get exactly as much information as we need, and we just, like, say, fuck it, we're moving on. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I, I like The Departed. Have not seen Infernal Affairs, so I, I'll plead the fifth on this one. But uh, I do like The Departed. Well, Infernal Affairs, those movies are fine. Uh, they're, they're quite good, in fact. But uh, Departed is, like, kind of next level kind of special if you ask me i really really enjoy that movie but uh the stool pigeon kind of covers uh familiar territory where it's about a it's about a guy who's in a he's kind of forced into a position as an informant um and you really feel for the guy like he gets put through the ringer uh it's he's played by nicholas say uh the guy i was talking about in uh the beast stalker who is our protagonist there and uh the guy with the face the chinese gary oldman uh, nick chung uh, plays his handler, and he is a ruthless son of a bitch in this one. Uh, this one I barely remember, honestly. In fact, I'm probably due for a re- rewatch because I don't remember having negative feelings about it. Um, but again, uh, things like the Beast Stalker stand out so much that it kind of looms over this one, mm-hmm, where it's like, yeah. mm, it's fine. It's not, <laughs> it's not great. Like the cast is game. Uh, it's a little distracting um, in that uh, the cast is like there's people from three different regions uh, that all speak different native tongues in the cast, but many of them are dubbed. Uh, so there's Taiwanese and mainland Chinese actors in this Hong Kong film that all speak Mandarin, but they're dubbed in Cantonese. Okay. Um, and most Chinese films, especially from a certain era, like uh, like 90s and backwards, basically, almost all those movies are dubbed because of it's kind of like how uh, Italian movies, how they were all dubbed regardless of what language they're filmed in. Mm-hmm. Same deal with a lot of Chinese films. Okay. Um, so it's really common uh, for Chinese films to be dubbed, especially from a certain vintage. Um, but this one, it's because of the casting, where it's just like, oh, we, we have this super hot actress that doesn't quite speak the language. It's like, but she's super hot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, she's in the movie. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, it... It's a little distracting because we're all, you know, used to, we're, you know, American. We, we're mm-hmm. used to everybody speaking Americanese <laughs> <laughs> in our American films. But um, it is a little bit distracting, but it doesn't detract from the experience. But um, well, well, I got to ask, what what is the stool pigeon? Why is it called stool pigeon? I think that's what they, I think that's actually a term. Like it's a common parlance to use uh the term stool pigeon to refer oh. to an informant. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, 
I, I don't know how commonly it's used. I mean, we all have an idea in our head of when you refer to someone as a stool pigeon, you don't necessarily think of them as an, in a, an informant. You mm-hmm. think of them as, you know, like a fall guy, I guess. But uh, yeah, I guess that's what it's in reference to. Okay, yeah, I guess I didn't know. I'm going to have to start using that in my everyday uh, everyday speak. I like that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds cool. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the last movie I'll cover here and this is also headlined by Nicholas Say. Um, are you seeing a theme here? <laughs> uh, this is the viral factor, and this Ooh. is pro- this is perhaps um, the transition wouldn't officially occur until later. But this is him doing his first like kind of like Michael Bay style action movie. Where the this cover is... is I'm getting some Bayisms on the cover. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you you kind of like point the guns in different directions and it's bad boys bad boys 2 actually yeah <laughs> and uh yeah it's that level dumb like this is a hundred percent dumb uh, <laughs> like 100 percent dumb and uh dull as well it's very loud um the cinematography the color palette it's very bay-esque um in fact we have scenes in uh the middle east like opening the film as far as i remember they're like war scenes mm-hmm. that play out just like you know, like a Transformers movie, not not Black Hawk Down, like a Transformers movie where like the choreography is like dialed up a few notches where it's like, this is kind of stupid. <laughs> and then there's some really bad CGI involving vehicles flipping because they probably didn't have enough money to flip the Hummer. Whoa, 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 whoa. That Hummer's a rental. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's, let's not go nuts here. <laughs> but uh, some of the other members of the cast, Jigga Jigga J. Cho, uh, is in here. Uh, the reason I say Jigga Jigga J. Cho uh, is J. Cho is, or he is a uh, Taiwanese pop star uh, that for a good solid stretch of time, uh, I actually was really into his music. Uh, really? Fair, he's a very multi-talented man, and I think you may have seen him before, Brad. Uh, have you seen the Seth Rogen Green Hornet? I have, yeah. He plays Kato. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's right, yep. Yeah, he's a very multi-talented individual. He does some acting, mostly a like composer slash musician slash singer or whatever. Um, and at the time that I first saw this movie, I, I really didn't care much about his music. I wasn't really aware of it. But uh, at some point, I caught wind of him, and yeah, I like him. I think he's great. Uh, he's okay in this movie because it's not a great movie. <laughs> um, but the only other member of the cast that I'll bring up is Andy Ohn, uh, who I think he's canadian um he he uh he pops up in a lot of funny places here and there uh he's actually going to be in the next movie i bring up here but um he's one of the last guys standing as far as like like uh i don't know martial artists on film go like he's he's not super young but he looks young (laughs) and and, uh, he's got the moves um his chinese is not great so oftentimes he'll just speak English. Like in this movie, I think he just speaks English straight up. Yeah. Um, but he pops up in funny places here and there. Like he's done a couple of movies with Scott Adkins um, in English-speaking roles. Um, but he has that cross-cultural appeal, so he'll he'll go wherever there's work. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guy. like Andy. I like Andy Owen. Um, I don't think he's. I don't think he has enough screen presence to carry a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but as like the guy who the hero punches at some point, he's great. <laughs> like he's that guy. Nice. Like, he shows up for the big fight at the end. But other than that, it's like just just shut up, just shut up and look pretty, okay? <laughs> and then fall down. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
But yeah, the viral factor of the movies of his I own is probably the worst one. Uh, there's not a whole lot good to it. Now, uh, not to get on the title again, but is, did you say, like, is there a virus in this movie? Why is it called the viral factor? There is a virus. Okay. Um, it's like it's like a take like any Call of Duty plot. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, oh, my God, they have the like there's a ticking clock of some sort. Insert explosive slash viral threat here and then manhunt and then big fight at the end. Uh, Chinese melodrama. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, long lost brothers reunite because, again, Chinese melodrama. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It's yeah. it's uh, yeah it's that kind of movie. Um, I was hoping the dumb factor would help it in terms of entertainment value, um, but honestly, it's like not very memorable and just kind of flat for the most part. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, that's about it for those three. So uh, I'll pass the baton back to you, Brad. Um, all right, I guess I'll just kind of keep going in order of release. At least uh, I think in order of release. Um, Next up, I'm skipping over Dune. Uh, I've only seen it the one time. I I don't have much to say about it, and uh, I'll be rewatching it before the new one comes out. That's for sure. But uh, it's going to another one of my favorites. Uh, this one already. This is already five stars. No uh, no need to force feed this one. It's Blue Velvet, which um, I uh, love. This film. It's Definitely one of David Lynch's most acclaimed. It, I do think it was nominated for um, some Oscars. Uh, I don't know if it was Best Picture, but I think he was up for some Oscars and stuff. And it is a, a really nice mix of what he does best. You know, you can certainly see how this was a bit of an influence on Twin Peaks, the idea of, like, small-town charm with uh, a seedy underbelly just below the surface. Um the uh, performances, specifically from uh, Dennis Hopper, uh, he is so good in this. Like, he is, you know, genuinely threatening, scary, but, like, some of his lines, he has some of the funniest one-liners maybe I've ever heard in a f- movie. Like, he, like you watch this movie, and he is a very intimidating villain, but he is so funny. He is so good in this film. Um, Kyle MacLachlan, obviously he'd been in... Uh, Dune, I don't know what people thought of him at the time from Dune, but I think this certainly got him some respectability, and obviously he's been a frequent Lynch collaborator ever since. Um, Isabella Rossellini, you got Laura Dern in a very uh, a very early role of hers, and she will um, go on to work with Lynch as well. So yeah, Blue Velvet is uh, definitely... Uh, I was about to say it's a lot of fun. Not really fun. I don't know if I, fun would be the word I would use, but it is. Uh, it's it's 100% pure Lynch. Like, uh, what what more can you say? <laughs> and yeah. I don't know when. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know when he started working with uh, Angelo Badalamenti. Um, he did the score for this. I don't know if he did any of the earlier scores for his films or not. Oh, was that the Twin Peaks guy? Yeah, yeah. Trying to f- look it up here. Um, but yeah, obviously he is a big uh collaborator with Lynch and um looking on the Elephant Man blue right here. No, uh, that might be it might be the first uh time he's worked with Battle of Menti, which if if that's true, don't hold me to that. I'm not 100%, but it looks like it might be. Then that's huge cuz that is a 
big uh, Lynch collaboration going forward. And uh, then the next one, I've only seen it one time, um, so I don't have too much to say. This is Wild at Heart. Actually, before I move on to Wild at Heart, just got to say, a little embarrassing that I uh, don't have the Criterion Blue Velvet. A little embarrassed. I've only got the, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. For but, shame, I mean, Brad. To be <laughs> fair, I, that means I was just, uh, I was in on the ground floor, and I owned Blue Velvet on Blu-ray before it was even on Criterion, so... I think it was one of the things where, like, I bought it, and then two months later, it was announced for Criterion. Um, I should have been—I should have done more research on Blu-ray.com. There was probably already, you know, yeah, people we, people already knew it was coming, and I just didn't know. We all been there, Brad. I mean, yeah. that happened with me and my Pumpkinhead Blu-ray yep. that got a new transfer uh, only a few months later. <laughs> if you buy an old, uh, not that great Blu-ray, there's one hundred percent chance it will be upgraded within six months. Um, this one, uh, is the next one, Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern once again. Uh, and this one is from Shout Select. This movie did come out, uh, through Twilight Time quite a few years ago. And of course, Twilight Time, uh, you know, they would do very small pressings, only like 2000 Blu-rays printed or whatever. So I did not get the Twilight Time Blu-ray, but I do have the, uh, um, Shout Select release, and um, yeah, it's uh, definitely a fun film. Uh, you know, you got Laura Dern, Nicolas Cage, uh, Willem Dafoe is great in it as well. Gotta love the little segment with Crispin Glover as well. Definitely one of the highlights of this one. A um, little more, not quite as uh, dark as some of other Lynch's other stuff. There's still some, you know, stark moments of violence in it, but it is uh, a little more of a... Uh, at least for Lynch, a little bit more lighthearted, I suppose. The only thing, the first time I watched it, the Wizard of Oz stuff was a little much. Like, I know Lynch really likes the Wizard of Oz, but they really are shoving Wizard of Oz down your throat in this film. And the first time I watched it, that was kind of the one thing that I couldn't totally get on board with. So, curious to see how that will play on a rewatch. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, I know very little about Wild at Heart, um, mm-hmm. so I'd be curious if you have any specific details you think I might be intrigued to hear about. But um, Blue Velvet, I started a very long time ago, and for whatever reason, I just never finished it. Uh, I really do want to, though, because I was, I was into it. Just, I can't remember what got me to pull away from it, but it has such a stellar reputation, um, and it yeah. has so many quotable elements that um even without seeing the film it's like i'm aware of some of the content of it and and of course i know the story about was it uh isabella rossellini was Mm -hmm. uh, her that was in it yeah um i I seem to remember a a roger ebert review of it tearing it down because of like the way she was treated in it and then she came Mm -hmm. out and was like shut the fuck up fat man (laughs) it's like i'm an actress (laughs) i respect this man (laughs) yeah i was perfectly comfortable doing all of that (laughs) yeah yeah i think yeah i i think ebert has been critical of a lot of lynch's stuff actually um really which is kind of interesting i i think uh yeah there was a few other of his film i want to say was it the elephant? I think he might have not been a fan of the Elephant Man too. I like. There's been like I think Mulholland Drive. He gave four stars to, but I think he's been a little bit uh you know a little picky with Lynch. Uh, but um, yeah. I mean that's the one thing. Like yeah, that whole segment. I mean, I've never heard anything bad. Any I've never heard anybody say anything bad about David Lynch. Like 
you know, he's a very kind-hearted guy. His films are just very, uh, you know, disturbing, but he seems like a great person to work with. And even just in terms of, like, him, you know, not being, you know, anybody butting heads with him on set, like, I've never heard any of that, like, so. Well, and um, just, like, the number of recurring elements in his cast, it's like you can tell yeah. that he, the people who like him really, really like working with him. There's a reason yeah. they keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Um it's not like some other director actor relationships where it's like tempestuous or it's um what was it klaus kinski um i I can't remember Werner herzog i think the two of them hated each other (laughs) that's what kyle told me uh yeah Yeah. kyle told me that the two of them hated each other but they did great things together so it was kind of like i need you you need me like let's just make sure we don't see each other after the rap party (laughs) for a while um but yeah, like you can tell that David Lynch is a pretty affable guy. It seems like a lot of his actors like him. And I seem to remember some controversy about the, no, not controversy, but the, the little person from Twin Peaks was excused from the cast in favor of a tree? That's true. Yeah, I guess there is one person who has said some bad things about David Lynch. But well, he uh, apparently said a lot of bad things about everyone. So yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. I, I don't remember if he was on social media or if it was just like a, some like statements from him, that actor that I'd read. But yeah, he's like that. That actor has gone just full on wackos. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it was pretty public where it's just like uh, we, it, he's nuclear. Like he has nuclear heat. We need to he has X-Pac heat. We need to get him out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. like the the people are going to riot. <laughs> like, and, like he can't be on the set. In all fairness, like I think he's great in the original Twin Peaks. I think he's very memorable. I love his uh, presence. But then what they do with him, turning him into a tree, I think it's equally as great in Twin Peaks to return. So it's a win-win for Lynch. Like he just gets, he's like, all right, I'll just turn you into something else weird. Like who cares? <laughs> <laughs> who cares? He's a tree. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, David Lynch came out uh, winning that uh, controversy, I suppose. But um, well, and bef- before we bounce away from it, uh, uh, Wild at Heart, like, do you have any, like, aspects of it you personally really enjoy or things that you think are worth coming back for? Um, I, I Honestly, I don't remember much from it. I have to be totally honest. Um, I know uh, Willem Dafoe, I really liked him in it. He's kind of the, the villain in a way because I, I believe, if I'm remembering the plot, it's Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern are lovers that run off together. And Laura Dern's mom, who is uh, played by Diane Ladd. Oh, her real mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, who uh, she sends uh, a bunch of criminals out, or at least Willem Dafoe, I believe, out to go get her and bring her back, essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's, you know, there's a bit of a romance and lovers on the run kind of angle, but. You know, fun performances, and uh, it, it is a it is a good film from what I remember. Okay, well, I'll, I'll add it to the list of all the Lynch films I got to check up on because, damn, uh, there's a lot of them. I he's he's one of those guys. I know him mostly by reputation. I've seen very yeah. few of his films, but uh, mostly because I just think he's such a great interview. It's like you know, it'd be kind of fun to see what see what's going on in that guy's head. Like, oh, yeah. see what he does with other people's money. <laughs> I would love to just hang out with him someday. Like, I think if I could pick a filmmaker to spend a day with, I think I think he would be my 
pick. Not necessarily, like you said, I, w- I don't know if I'd want to interview him, but if it was just like me and him, just like, you know, going to Big Boy and having some coffee and pie, and I think that'd be a that'd be a real hoot. Yeah, I, I think for me personally, I just want to observe him. Like, yeah. just be in close proximity, have him be aware that I'm watching him, and, and just let him be. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't say anything. I'd just bring a notepad and just, <laughs> just jot away. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it would probably be like, it, with my luck, it would probably be like laundry day. It would be the most boring <laughs> day where I have to sit with David Lynch at like the public laundromat and he's just like in his underwear the whole time. <laughs> just, just like reading a book. <laughs> he'd and that's still the make day. it interesting. I'm sure. I'm sure he'd, he'd be find commenting someone. on the detergent he uses and, you know. Oh, I'm sure he's that guy who talks to people like when yeah. they're trying to go about their business. He just like gets too close and just starts talking about the weather or yep, <laughs> something yep. like that it's like oh my yeah. god it's like and guy you, with the hair again <laughs> you know maybe maybe uh one reason that i chose david lynch is because uh he was just recently in the news because he uh, it's been announced i think it's been confirmed or at least it was rumored that he uh is doing a new project for netflix so i think i think they said it was a series but um very excited about that because uh you know it's been a few years since uh, the last Twin Peaks, and there hasn't really been much word of anything. So, well, the the stream wars have begun. Like Netflix has to has to build an army. May as well be a Lynchian one. <laughs> so yeah, a really, yeah. a really, really fucked up army. <laughs> yep, yep. And occasionally small monkeys. <laughs> uh, so, I'll I'll jump into. I'm just gonna do one here. Uh, okay. And I'll pass it right back to you, uh, because this is one of the standouts, uh, at least for me personally. Uh, this is one that I really, really enjoyed of Dante Lamb's filmography. Uh, so this is called Unbeatable. Um, this is a mixed martial arts drama. Uh, it's from 2013, and it stars uh, Nick Chung, uh, who I've brought up a few times. He's the Chinese Gary Oldman, and uh, Eddie Peng. Uh, who plays our uh, handsome, fresh-faced protagonist. Uh, he's Taiwanese, and uh, he's, I mean, the man is goddamn handsome. Uh, <laughs> like, like he, can, he can headline a fucking movie. Um, and this, like, I don't remember exactly when his train got rolling, but th- it was around this time, and there was just a stretch where you couldn't have a big Chinese-slash-Taiwanese-slash-Hong Kong film without Eddie Peng being involved somehow, because the, the man is fucking handsome like he doesn't even have (laughs) it doesn't matter what language he speaks just put him in the film (laughs) but um this is a this is a really fun movie um it's well fun is kind of a weird word to use because it it gets pretty fucking heavy at times yeah i mean in fact every movie i've talked about uh from dante lamb uh he did comedies like screwball comedies early in his filmography like in the early 2000s and the late 90s um, but then he just started doing these like hard-boiled dramas. This one's like slightly lighter in that it doesn't really have a body count. Like people aren't blown to pieces in it because yeah, it's a yeah. it's a mixed martial arts drama. Um, but in terms of like drama, it pulls no punches. It go- it goes to some really dark, really heavy places. Like in the opening twenty minutes of the movie, a, a baby drowns. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it's a really the structure of the story is really cool. Like. When I was in college, this was the kind of shit that I would dream up. Like, like we're talking that kind of stuff. So, it's a three people uh, that their life kind of hits a bump in the road, and they all kind of find each other, uh, independent of each other. They all, they all just kind of come together naturally, 
so there's a compulsive gambler, Nick Chung. Uh, there's Eddie Peng, who's like uh, heir to like a family fortune that goes tits up the second he inherits it. <laughs> so he's like, oh, well, I thought everything was going to be great. I guess it's not. Um, and then there's a alcoholic uh, single mother uh, who her child, uh, she like passes out drunk after work and the kid like slips into the tub and drowns. Um, but she has one more kid um, and she's raising this daughter by herself. Uh, so cut like a couple years later in time. And uh, both uh, Nick Chung, he works at like a, a mixed martial arts slash boxing gym, just like mopping the floor. And then Eddie Peng joins the gym because he's looking to like find his self-worth and make a few bucks along the way. So he decides to become a fighter. Um, not not the best career choice when you're handsome as fuck. Um, kind of like Mickey <laughs> Rourke, actually, where it's like, dude, dude, like you you have a career. Like, why do you why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you decide I need to get punched in the face for a living for a few years and then try to go back to acting after my face has been turned to hamburger. <laughs> Good job, yeah. Mike. <laughs> and then show up on the Masked Singer. Oh, he did. Yeah, he did. What does he? What did he sound like? Uh, I mean, I mean, bad, obviously. But... Oh, I'm gonna have to look that up and send it to my brother. I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> check it out because um, it's pretty hilarious how they try and pass this off as like not being staged. Like at some point, he um, he he basically sings his song. And he's not good, so it's obviously like that he's gonna get eliminated. And they try and make it seem like he he goes like, "Oh, it's just so hot in this suit. I'm done. I'm done." And they're like, "No, don't don't t- don't take it off. No, no, no." And he just takes it off. And it's like obviously he like could only be there for like you know one or two days to shoot this show. So he's they're just like, "Oh, we'll just have you pretend to take your thing off, and it'll be cra- it'll be a crazy water cooler moment." But <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I'm seriously gonna look that up as soon. You as should, done. yeah. He play, he's the gremlin. He's the gremlin. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll have to look yeah. that up then. But um, anyway, uh, Nick Chung ends up uh, romancing the the alcoholic woman, uh, and uh, the little girl. Uh, I had to look up her name. Her name is Crystal Lee. Uh, she plays. She was a very young child when this came out. Um, she is great. She's like she's so charming and and hilarious. And her. Uh, her physicality as an actor is is part of what makes it so special because she has the body language of like an old nagging wife like an, mm-hmm. like an, think like a grandma nagging her husband who calls her uh like mother instead of like wife or by her name <laughs> so like she does a lot of hands on her hips type stuff and a lot of finger wagging and yeah um it's be- it fits the character it, not only is it funny but it fits the character because her alcoholic mother like she's kind of having to be the mom in the household um but anyway long story short uh, a lot of there's a lot of excellent fight sequences in this movie on top of the drama uh, it's very funny at times as well uh, it's shot really well it takes place in macau so you get like like a lot of shots of like bodies of water a lot of like tumultuous rainfall and stuff it, it looks really slick um and yeah the production value translates to the action scenes as well like the this the cast in this like a lot of the publicity was based around abs um, <laughs> because these guys were taking all the hgh and all the roids um <laughs> nick chung in particular holy fucking shit um so nick chung like i said is diminutive so picture like gary oldman and then put gary oldman in like a bulky sweater for two hours of a movie and then the last 10 minutes he takes it off and he's just he looks like 
he looks like a like a, a loaf of bread with abs carved into it. <laughs> like, like, he looks like a human sausage. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like Nick Chung got in insane shape, and they disguise it throughout the entire film by him just wearing baggy clothes, and somehow miraculously he gets in shape for like the last ten minutes of the movie. It's ridiculous, but um, when it comes time for his like big action scene at the end, it's like totally unexpected. And you're like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> like, there's a jacked little gremlin in the corner. <laughs> um, and uh, Andy On, who I brought up before, plays the, I guess, the antagonist. Um, he's, I mean, it's a sport, so there's no bad guys, just people with bad tempers and unsportsmanlike conduct. But uh, he he does the role just fine where he's there to look handsome and fall down and he does it he does both of those things <laughs> yeah um but yeah this one is a strong recommend um probably not super digestible to people that can't stomach you know i don't know the the mixed martial arts aspect of things um but all the acting performances are very very good and uh, the drama is there the the humor's there it's a it's a very multifaceted very solid film Sounds pretty solid, yeah. I mean, personally, I, I'm still more attracted to uh, the the films that have body parts getting ripped off by explosions, but that's just that's that's a personal thing. That's just me. No, I, perfectly understandable. Um, <laughs> but fair warning, like if you do end up checking some of those out, um, maybe just go straight to Beast Stalker because uh, yeah. Fire of Conscience. Uh, some of those standout moments that that restaurant shootout is tremendous, but the rest of it's like. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's like there, there's a scene that was in the trailer that actually got me kind of hyped for the movie that ended up being exactly what was in the trailer. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, so that wasn't a big set piece. That wasn't an action scene. That was literally just that. Like, oh, that was like two seconds of fun when it could have been 15 minutes of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. Yeah. But um, that's enough out of me about Dante Lamb. Uh, back to you, Brad. What do you got for David Lynch? Um, all right, uh, let's see here. I will, this is kind of going a little out of order. I'm skipping over one thing here. But uh, next up, let's talk about uh, another film of his that I've only seen one time. Um, and it is Lost Highway uh, with everybody's favorite actor, Balthazar Getty. I mean, everybody, this this guy was on everybody's, He there was a poster of this guy on every wall of everybody in the 90s. Um <laughs> Uh, I, I, the thing with Lost Highway, again, I've only seen it the one time. I do want to revisit it. This is the, uh, Kino release. And I think when I first watched it, it didn't even have a Blu-ray. So I I have not watched this Blu-ray yet. Uh, I love the, uh, the first third of the film. The first third of the film is amazing. The, the whole thing where, um, I believe the setup is that this couple played by Bill Pullman and Patricia Arquette, they get videotapes dropped off on their front door of somebody filming the outside of their home, I believe, I want to say. Um, unless I'm getting that confused. There's a there's a Michael Haneke film that actually has that exact plot, and I'm worried I'm getting them confused. Uh-oh. But I think that's <laughs> part of this film, which is very creepy and very uh, unsettling, especially like with the videotape aesthetic of the tapes that are dropped off. And I want to say... Um, Rob is it Robert Blake I want to say who is kind of this creepy villainous guy um very unsettling in this film and I I hope I'm 
picking out the right actor because I believe he did end up murdering somebody like soon after this film, like the actual actor. So I, I hope I'm, it's Robert Blake. If, if Robert Blake did not murder somebody, uh, I apologize, but I think Robert Blake is the convicted murderer in uh, lost highway, which just makes the film even creepier. Um, and so I love that opening, but at, like after the first third, it does kind of have a shift where, we sort of have a bit of change in identities and, you know, it gets, it, it gets Lynchian in that regard. And I, I don't think it works totally well, at least on my first watch. I was really into where it was going at first and that really dramatic shift. I'm sure there's, you know, a reason for it happening, um, but it just it wasn't interesting enough for me to want to figure out why we had that big shift, I guess. Um, but uh Great Nine Inch Nails song on the soundtrack. You gotta love that one. The perfect drug, right? Uh, um, and then uh, <laughs> that's gonna lead me into uh, my favorite film of his, Mulholland Drive, which is on the Criterion Collection. Um, I think this might have been the first Lynch film I saw. I had seen Twin Peaks prior to this, so I kind of knew what to expect. But I think this was his first feature film that I saw, and uh, I I think it's his best film. Um, it's you know, got so many memorable moments, like just the Justin Theroux meeting the cowboy is just so so weird and Lynchian perfect. And um, I I do think that uh, the mystery in it is very good. And this one does kind of have a bit of a, you know, a change in identity and character more towards the end of the film than as Lost Highway has it a little earlier, this one is kind of more just like the last 20 minutes are, you know, perspective on everything changes. And I do think it works um, in this one very well. And, uh, yeah, I uh, I love Mulholland Drive. It's probably his film I've seen the most, I would say. I've seen it at least three times, and it's one I, uh, I keep coming back to. There's just a lot of great memorable scenes in it. Um you got Billy Ray Cyrus pops up uh, in a wonderful uh, cameo. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very very good film and breakthrough obviously for Naomi Watts, which is worth noting. Um, so yeah, it's definitely my top tier of his. Okay, um, was Billy Ray rocking the mullet or was this after? I think I want to say he had a mullet in this. Um, okay, okay, He's, his his achy breaky was still breaking i think so i think <laughs> yeah i could be wrong he's, he's not in it a lot it's very uh just a quick thing but okay um yeah i again i haven't seen either of these um i have seen Eraserhead um and part of blue velvet i have seen mm-hmm. dune um i saw the which version of dune have you seen brad because that's an important mm. question it's a good question uh whatever one is on the blu-ray <laughs> i guess uh, I mean, I don't know because there's. It, I think there's two or three versions of the movie floating around out there. Yeah, it's kind of like Blade um, Runner in that way. Let me see. I'm trying to see if it says anywhere on here. Um, does not say. Uh, it's two hours and seventeen minutes on the Blu-ray. So whatever version that is. Okay. Well, there's there's one that's really long and has like a, a like a Ken Burns effect for the first 10 minutes of the movie just to like get everyone up to speed with what the fuck is going on yeah um, I think I saw that one so the extended version but um, 
all of them have their problems. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Mulholland Drive, is that the one that opens with the bugs in the ground? The bu- no, that's uh, that's Blue Velvet. Okay, okay. Yeah. So that's why that's familiar to me. Um, Mulholland Drive, uh, damn, if that's the top of your list, like if that's your top-tier Lynch pick, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I'll have to add that to my watch list. Yeah, and very interesting how it uh, – came to be in that it was originally going to be a like tv pilot oh and that that's it's i mean i don't want to get too far into spoilers but what i love about the film is there's like these weird you know setups for like these like you get this scene where this hit like this hitman who is like uh he's a hitman and he goes in and he does like a terrible job and it's almost like comical in like a twin peaks way where he keeps messing up and having to kill somebody else because he screws this up and and obviously, if this were to be a TV show, he would somehow factor into it. But how they kind of take these like brief character introductions that really don't make much sense in the context of the movie, and in the last twenty minutes, kind of give everything meaning because like Lynch took that pilot um, and then added on kind of like the end of the film and kind of brought it together in a way to give it like a full feature and kind of make everything make sense in a way that was not intended when he was first setting out to make the the tv pilot and the project so it's very interesting in that regard well i i think that uh that adds quite a bit of value for me because mm-hmm. structure is one of those things that it's difficult to appreciate like especially if you've only seen a movie once um but for me that's like one of the most praiseworthy aspects of like truly great films is when is mm-hmm. when you can take a look at the skeleton of the thing how it's put together and just appreciate that. That means that there's a very skilled hand at work. Um, and I feel like I'd have I'd have a lot of fun picking that apart. Yeah, um, might have to watch it more than once, but it sounds like it'd be worth the time. <laughs> yeah, and of course, uh, I, I'm sure you've at least heard of it. Maybe you've even watched it. But the uh, the the Winkies, uh, you know, behind the Winkies Diner jump scare is obviously. Some people say it's uh, one of the best uh, jump scares in movie history. I. I you know, I'm a Lynch fanboy. I don't. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think uh, I've got one other thing I can mention here that might have a even better scare from David Lynch. But it is a good scene. It is very uh, unsettling. It's very, very good. Well, there's a couple of things in Twin Peaks that certainly uh, put me on my heels. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I haven't even seen uh, Firewalk with me. And I've mm-hmm. I've seen some clips from that, and it's like, oh fuck, <laughs> like, <laughs> this is alarming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Lost Highway is that the, um, I know at some point in his career I, I don't know if it if he's still doing this um, but there was a certain point in time that I heard he started shooting on like cheap digital like intentionally like he kind of fell in love with like handy cams or something yeah um, I think the only film that he did that with was um, Inland Empire which okay. is the only film of his I haven't seen because like it really like it's tough to find this but you can't even like rent it online like there's no obviously it doesn't really need a blu-ray release because it was shot on very you know cheap digital um but i think the dvd is out of print like you know it's it's i want to watch it but it's definitely tough to get it in a uh legal way i suppose (laughs) well it sounds like we we have that in common with our directors where you know, there's a couple of movies here and there where it's like, damn, I, I really would like to see that or would like to see that again. But 
not mm-hmm. making it easy film world yeah but yeah um god damn it i'm sorry brad i keep mixing up his movies because the for some reason the titles are very interchangeable uh because i haven't seen them so i don't associate any <laughs> images with them but it's like yeah Mulholland drive lost highway inland yeah. empire it's like, location velvet uh. yeah it's a, two words and like places what yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, Mulholland Drive. I'll have to make note of that one because if you say it's your favorite and you're you're the Lynch guy, you're a Lynch head, um, I'll have to put that on my list. Yeah, I would say as long as you know what to expect with the David Lynch film, I would say it's definitely, definitely the one I would recommend the most for people. All right. Uh, so I guess balls back to me. Um, and we're getting into the home stretch here. So I'm going to go back to doing two at a time because, uh, none of these are that great. (laughs) Uh, unbeatable is like the last really, really good one that I truly enjoyed. But, um, so first up here, I have, uh, that demon within. And, uh, this is a unusual film. Uh, there may be some, uh, things lost in translation here. Uh, because there's no honestly like this is a this is a Chinese film I am yeah. not Chinese uh, I'm J- <laughs> are you Chinese or Japanese <laughs> like, I am Japanese um so uh yeah there may be some things that are literally lost in translation here because there's some like allusions to like Confucianism and a lot of Chinese mysticism things that I'm not exactly up on uh like for instance there's like a blood transfusion in this film that if I remember right, like one aspect of like Confucianism, I think is like the body is meant to be kept as a whole. So like uh, organ donation is like not part of the equation. Um, Same with like blood transfusions that figures into it as well. Um, But it's like a, a moment that like you can tell from the lensing and like music cues. It's like, Oh, I was supposed to get something from that. I don't know what, (laughs) But uh, this is a very strange film because it's like one part crime drama, uh, which obviously that's familiar territory for this director. But um, then there's like a weird psychological horror aspect to it. Uh, hmm. It has like a little bit of like a, I don't know, like a identity or like a fight club feel in that like there's a person who's maybe projecting a personality or may may not be who, he, who we all assume he is. Mm-hmm. Um and we have Daniel Wu in the lead, who actually has started to pop up in more American productions recently. Um, Into the Badlands, I think, is the TV series that he's headlining right now. Okay, yeah. Um, he was also in the Tomb Raider movie that came out, uh, what, two years ago now? Yeah, um, yeah. And funny enough, like, he's never really had that much cachet in a in Chinese film productions. Like he, hmm. he just never really took off. Like maybe it's yeah. something about his face or something where it's just like, I don't really like him, <laughs> but like he <laughs> seems to be doing better over here. <laughs> oh, good for him, I guess. Yeah. He, he found his footing. Like he's got a TV show and he's hanging out with Laura Croft. What more yeah. did he ask for? <laughs> but, right. um, but he plays our lead and he's actually kind of well cast because he does have like a, a weird quality to like his look. Like he, kind of naturally looks a little aloof or sinister um but he's very passive in this movie for the most part but he kind of takes on different angles from time to time but uh, nick chung i was hoping was going to be a huge part of this movie he's not um but he gets like the juicy role where he gets to do all his like he gets to like chew the scenery and be like a like kind of a villainous character. He's like a little demon that kind of floats around in the movie from time to time. He's mm-hmm. constantly taunting our hero, and uh, Andy Owen shows up 
to again look hot and fall down <laughs> but yeah this movie i honestly don't have a whole lot to say about it. i've only watched it exactly one time um i bought it strictly because i was enamored with the director at the time it came out uh, so i watched the trailer i saw who made it and i was like i don't care what it is i'm just gonna watch it and then it ended up just being like i don't even know what the fuck that was <laughs> Um, so I'll just move on from that um, to a, another uh, unexpected movie from Dante Lamb. Uh, clearly, the man he he has a little bit of an everyman in him. Like he'll he'll dip into whatever the fuck interests him or whoever the fuck will pay him. Apparently, because we got crime dramas. He did screwball comedies early on. Uh, he's going to become the Chinese Michael Bay eventually. <laughs> but along the way, he'll hit a little pit stop in the form of this movie uh, to the fore which is headlined by Eddie Peng, and this is a, a slightly international film. Uh, it's mostly filmed outside of China. In fact, I think most of it's in, like, France and Italy. Okay. Um, and then part of it takes place, I think, in, uh, I want to say, like, northern Africa or something. Um, but Eddie Peng is our headliner, um, but the other the other side of the cast, like our, our other leading man, uh, the Iceman to our Maverick, is a Choi Siwon. Uh, who is Korean, um, and there's a lot of cross-pollination that happens between, uh, like, the Chinese, Japanese, and uh, Korean uh, film industries uh, mm. because they all have actors who people from all those different countries think are hot, and it doesn't matter what language they speak because they're hot. <laughs> so it's just like, hey, super handsome Korean guy, be in our Chinese movie. It's like, why? So we can get all those Korean people to watch our movie. <laughs> it's like, okay, that makes sense. Um, but this movie is about cycling. It's about long-distance cycling. And uh, okay. with, with the exception of, what is it, the Ben Foster, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, it's the Lance Armstrong movie. Uh, it's like the program or something. Yeah, I, that's I, I I know what you're talking about, but the name is drawing a blank for me. But yeah, it was something along those lines. Um, with the exception of that movie, which I very much enjoyed, by the way. Um, this, these are the only two cycling movies. Oh wait, Breaking Away. I've seen that. Uh, so I've seen. I like sports dramas in general. I <laughs> I just I bite for sports dramas. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this is about long distance cycling, and it and along the way it has some like uh, Korean drama quality, like uh, rom com kind of shenanigans going on. Uh, the way it's shot feels like a, a Korean drama, where like the the contrast is dialed way the fuck up, and everybody mm. in the ca- everyone in the cast is unnaturally handsome and or beautiful, <laughs> and every every scene in every location is unnaturally picturesque. And, and again, the color palette is just like dialed up to 11. Uh, mm-hmm. So from an aesthetic standpoint, it's very loud. Uh, everything is unnaturally beautiful. Um, but yeah, the racing scenes are actually kind of thrilling, even though I hardly know what's going on. And uh, the physicality of the performance is there. Uh, this is not a bad movie. Uh, if you if you bite for sports dramas and you like a little bit of like, you know, cheesy romance in between... It, it's a fun time. Uh, it's not one of his better movies, I'd say, but it it fits into that subgenre quite nicely. Now, the cover was kind of giving me like almost like a road trip kind of, you know, bonding vibe. But is it like long distance cycling in terms of like a competition or is there a bit of like, a, you know, road trip sort of thing to it? Well, it is a competition like that goes across country. Uh, so OK, like so the, it's a long, long. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. It's mostly a competition, um, but it is also uh, a team sport. So that's that's you know it's literally Top Gun with bikes, okay. <laughs> where it's like you know Maverick has to learn how to support his wingman. It's it's that basically. Um, but uh, Eddie Peng is very charismatic in the lead, and uh, there's a lot of just absurdly handsome people in this movie. So like your eyes will never be bored. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, again, it really does feel like you're watching a high budget like like Asian drama basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it one strong asset to it and something that translates into his later films, Dante Lamb, uh, in particular, is the cinematography. Like the the biking scenes are actually shot really well. Like they do yeah. they do a lot of like GoPro stuff that's obviously shot with GoPros, but they use it well. Like there's a couple of scenes where they go into like narrow tunnels and like pe- people's helmets literally hit like the rock side. It's like whoa! <laughs> like, <laughs> like I hope that guy got paid. <laughs> wow, dang! <laughs> but yeah, the, the color palette is a little obnoxious at times, though, because it's like, oh my god, everything's so blue and green and yellow and ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, based on the the films you've been highlighting, I mean, some of them you say haven't been total winners, but certainly the guy has a, a bit of a variety to his uh, filmography, which is definitely commendable. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of what keeps me from getting bored of him is that mm-hmm. he he obviously has it in him to try new things, even though uh, with the last movies I'm going to talk about, you can tell he's not in a rut, but the money talks, man. Let's <laughs> oh, <laughs> put yeah, it that it way. Um, so anyway, uh, back to you, Brad. What do you got for Mr. Lynch? All right, uh, I will cap it off. Um, I've already mentioned, of course, I do not have Inland Empire and uh, The Straight Story, uh, which I think at at some point you did link me to, like, a Japanese Blu-ray of it. Um, I don't own that one, and it does not have a North American release. It is on Disney+, Plus, though, so I did revisit it there. Um, But I will end it off with two that are, you know, pretty connected. One is uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me um, from on, on Criterion. And the other one, I do own Twin Peaks 1 and 2 as well, but this one is the Twin Peaks uh, The Return event series, which had 18 episodes, all directed by David Lynch. Now, there's the whole controversy is uh, The Return. Some people consider it a movie because it is one single vision. He did every single episode. Um, And in a lot of ways, it does play in a way like an eight. I will admit it does play in a way like an 18-hour movie. It does not necessarily feel like 18 one-hour episodes. Unfortunately, it was released as 18 one-hour episodes, so I believe it is a TV show. I will not log it on Letterboxd. Um, But I love uh, Twin Peaks, obviously, and I think for a lot of people that's probably their introduction to David Lynch. And I think it's a good introduction because it's, you know, there's the show has very much uh, lynching elements but in a very digestible way and the sort of like you know the charming sort of folksiness of Twin Peaks is uh, something that people can enjoy even if they think some of the weirder elements maybe aren't necessarily for them Um, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me kind of removes all of that charming folksiness uh, that Twin Peaks is known for and I think that's partly why when it came out it was not well received at all, um, but nowadays I think it has been reevaluated, and I think most people do hold it in pretty high regard nowadays. And I do really like it, and I appreciate how 
you know, coming off of what was a very popular TV show, coming out with this, not really giving any answers, instead telling us really dark, probably his darkest film, I would say, about sexual abuse. I mean, it's really heavy stuff and coming from a TV show that, you know, was about a murder, but it was a lot of fun and had comedy elements in it. Like this has none of that. It is very um, like tough to sit down and watch. And certainly I would not just, uh, you know, show it to anybody. Oh, let's, you know, crack open a few uh, sodas and watch Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, uh, you know. Have the boys over and uh, for a cold one and watch Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. But um, I do love the film. And uh, the jump scare with Bob in her room, oh, it is chilling. It is so good. It, it I've seen the film at least twice, maybe three times. Gets me. It's got me every time. It's, it's genuinely unsettling. And... Uh, you know, the Twin Peaks to Return, I think, uh, is great as well. I really like it. It's so many memorable moments. Um, and I, I have done two watches of it. And I will admit, on the first watch, the ending, I have to admit, I, I didn't want to admit it at the time, but I will admit the ending the first time, I did kind of feel a little disappointed in kind of how probably people felt about Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me and that you know, Twin Peaks ended on this big cliffhanger and it's like, we're bringing it back. We're going to bring it back and, you know, finally end the story. And the way they end it is probably even less satisfying in terms of a plot like element as than season two, like the ending of this. I, I'm, I'm curious any like casual watchers of Twin Peaks, if they watched this and made it all the way to the end of it, what they would think of the ending. Cause it is very, uh, surreal and you know just odd in how it ends and whether what you're watching is real or fake and it's very interesting um but yeah i i think it is great and uh i i highly highly recommend checking it out it is well worth the uh 18 hour runtime oh man yeah i like i had said previously that i have seen the first two seasons of twin peaks Mm -hmm. i have not seen both of the chapters that you highlighted just now um but god damn it like i would very much like to check them out uh twin peaks the return in particular it's like it's one of those things where it's like the it's like the the fat albert movie where it's like who the fuck asked for this and then when you get it it's <laughs> in the case of fat albert it's like oh well nobody asked for that and nobody wants it but in <laughs> twin peaks's case it's like i didn't ask for this but i'm glad it i'm glad we got it because <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. i i've heard nothing but good things about it mm-hmm. um wouldn't it be funny if like they they actually did shoot like an 18 hour movie like try to imagine like presented in series format 18 episodes and then when the episode ends it just like someone's like mid-step and just like sopranos you (laughs) it's just like just like snaps to credits and then next week it picks up on the exactly the frame where it left off (laughs) i mean i mean that's kind of not to that extent but i think that's part of the reason why people consider it some people do say it's an 18 hour movie in that the episodes don't i mean some of them do but for the most part the episodes kind of just like they don't end mid scene obviously but like it's almost like when it gets to an hour runtime and we finish that scene it kind of ends like there are some episodes that don't have like a a climax to the individual episode like it's just that scene ends and then we just move on to the next one um and i think in the way that it was shot i think 
he kind of shot it and wrote it as, you know, one long thing and then chopped it up into these 18 different chapters later. So there is some validity to calling it an 18-hour movie. Um, and if it, if it came out in theaters as one 18-hour thing that you could watch, I, w- I would say, yeah, it's an 18-hour movie. But uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it did come out on Showtime. So, Well, maybe they'll release it. Maybe he'll do a recut. Like he'll find a way to stitch it together seamlessly, and uh, you know when we get back in theaters, you can bring yourself some D pens and <laughs> watch yeah. the whole thing in one sitting. I, I'm surprised <laughs> that it's not like some sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of bonus feature, like watch every single episode back to back, no interruptions. That if if that was a bonus feature, and I did watch it that way, maybe I would log it on Letterboxd as a movie. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that would be kind of fucking cool, actually. Yeah, like, that yeah. would be a monumental undertaking uh, to mm-hmm. to stitch everything together perfectly. Yeah. Um, because if yeah. we're if we're like talking about like actually structuring it like a real story, you'd have to like rearrange whole scenes and whole mm-hmm. movements of the script and stuff. But you know, it'd be kind of a neat project. Maybe uh, maybe after Topher Grace is done fiddling around with Star Wars, he can move on to Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. And I, really, I, I, I think the, the people we have the most to blame is uh, Sight and Sound. Uh, Sight and Sound, uh, They, I think they said it was the best film either of the year or maybe they said of the decade. Like they said, like it was the best film of 2017 or something coming from Sight and Sound, which is, you know, very respectable uh, source on film. Um, so I think that's where it's that's where it stemmed from. <laughs> uh, that sounds like someone who wears a fedora with a feather in it, uh, has a yeah. 1800s barbershop mustache, and uh, drinks beer <laughs> that you've never heard of. <laughs> about right, yeah, that's about right. Because <laughs> yeah, that seems that seems like what are we doing, guys? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, like, like you're just you're just fucking with me now. <laughs> Stop it. But um, Firewalk with me, I've seen a number of excerpts from that. Um, Red Letter Media did like an extended review just of that mm. movie, not not mm. of the entirety of Twin Peaks, but it was just like a, a sit down conversation between two fellows, much like what we're doing right now. And uh, I had most of it spoiled for me, but I'm one of those people that spoilers don't ruin an experience for me when it comes to movies. Like I, I'm yeah. fine knowing what happens going in. Uh, I have that kind of analytical mindset where it's like, like I said about structure, like part of me in watching a movie is like, not only am I watching it and like digesting the story, I'm also just kind of like picking apart the filmmaking, like trying to piece together how things were done or why certain yep. decisions were made. Makes it very distracting. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I feel like maybe it'd be better if I could turn that part of my brain off. Maybe I'd get more out of the experience. Um, but yeah, it looked awesome. Like it mm-hmm. looked tremendous. Um, and yeah. uh, Ray Wise looked like he really knocked it out of the park there because i really liked him in in the series but in the Mm -hmm. movie it looks like he got some really juicy material to work with and he he knew like the characterization element of things like he knew what what buttons to push yeah um so yeah i goddamn brad you've given me so many david lynch movies i need to check out and i can't (laughs) it's difficult for me to parse exactly which ones need to be bumped to the top but for now it's i guess mulholland drive just because it's your number one i would say so yeah yeah okay okay well, Unless you want to go to go back to Dune, I mean, why not, right? You know, Brad, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a challenge to you. Maybe uh, in anticipation of the release of the Denis Villeneuve uh, Dune, uh, you should actually just do an episode of David Lynch's Dune for your Cinema Speak podcast. 
I think like, it could be good. Yeah, it could yeah. Be good. Like a- actually, actually, you know, clear out all the cobwebs. Not just rewatch it. Like mm. actually pick it apart. Really get to the core of what it is, and then you know, yeah. cap things off by giving it a five star, <laughs> regardless, <laughs> regardless of all the negative things you have to say about it. Got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> just two hours of shitting on Dune, and then be like five stars. <laughs> Best movie I've seen all year. <laughs> I got my Lynch blinders on. I, that's that's all I can see is a five star. Yeah, you got to do a simultaneous star reveal with whoever you uh, forced to go into that movie with you. And they'll be like, okay, three, two, one. They'll be like, two. And you'll be like, five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, looking forward to it. But um, I guess things. I guess I'll uh, finish things off here with literally the last two movies I own. Uh, and, uh, in fact, the last two movies of Dante Lambs that have come out. Uh, and they're very, very similar. In fact, they like half their titles are the same words. Uh, so first up is uh, Operation Mekong. Um, and this is where, when I start referring to Dante Lamb as the uh, Michael Bay of China, this is where the transition occurs. Uh, so this <laughs> is, well, actually, maybe Peter Berg is a better uh Maybe he's a, a better analog or parallel uh, because this is literally basically just Lone Survivor, um, <laughs> chi- Chinese edition. Um, yeah. And yeah, this is supposedly based on true events. Suppo- I say supposedly because um, like the, the basis for the story is based on an actual incident that occurred, but I'm pretty sure nothing that happens in this movie really happened. Um, but yeah, this is part of a, a huge wave that we're kind of in the middle of, like like war propaganda movies have always been a part of film history uh, for mm-hmm. most country most film producing countries on this planet um and i gotta say it is it is a trippy experience watching other countries propaganda <laughs> because it's something because i watch a lot of especially like international films from asia in particular um it's interesting because you know we we all have we as americans we certainly have a lot of like war movies that that show soldiers as like valorous and like we have a lot of true life stories that uh, mm-hmm. like even we even got the what the horse soldiers movie or whatever with thor <laughs> with chris hemsworth oh yeah, yeah like like this is this is trodden ground like this is all very familiar territory these movies have existed as long as we've had movies essentially um but it's kind of unnerving watching the same the same product but portraying a different country's army mm-hmm. <laughs> um and sometimes it like it extends even further where we get like kind of gross situations where like the propaganda starts to like point fingers at the US and stuff where it's like oh fuck <laughs> like they're calling us out <laughs> that's that's pretty interesting that is something that would be of interest to watch though i i yeah. think i mean there's a uh, those wolf warrior movies that uh, are famous these days for being like some of the most profitable chinese films that have ever been made and they're both shit like mm-hmm. they're both absolute shit. The first one in particular, Scott Adkins. They got Scott Adkins in on that one. And he shows up for two minutes. His name is Tomcat, and he falls down at the end, and that's it. Like it is such a big fucking letdown. Um but apparently the star of the movie, uh, Wu Jing, uh, his legs were like both broken by the time they were filming the final fight in the oh, movie. Wow. So I can understand why they'd cut it short. But I'm yeah. sorry, like for me, who's showing up for Scott Atkins, not for all the pro-China military shit, it, that that really ground my gears. <laughs> but 
Um, Ouch. Wolf Warrior 2, they got Frank Grillo to show up as the bad guy. Mm, really? Um, okay. That adds another wrinkle to the like the propaganda of the film in that it takes place in Africa. Um, what country in Africa, I couldn't tell you. It might even be a fictional one. But um, China has a lot of stake in Africa right now. Um, there's a significant chunk of the the industry and the population that's set up shop over there and there are many many more movies being filmed in africa from from chinese studios and stuff that uh, go to great lengths to show that like china's treating these african nations like very fairly and like we're we're doing good for the people and like there's a line of dialogue in wolf warrior 2 where it's like basically like everything's going to hell and it's like we need to get to the embassy it's the only safe place (laughs) it's like it's 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 borderline embarrassing but yeah um that movie had like uh, a second unit director from hollywood working on it uh but if i remember right the the closing line of dialogue in the in wolf warrior 2 is basically like sparking an international incident where it's it's basically like china kind of like planting its foot and calling out the rest of the world saying like come try to fuck with us <laughs> it's like or our african friends it's like oh shit like that was bold yeah, and it, like yeah. it was a huge red flag for a lot of critics that especially non-chinese critics were like oh <laughs> like, that was uncomfortable but uh, i've been talking about other movies but operation mekong is better than both wolf warrior movies um mm-hmm. it's much more serious as well wolf warrior one and two are both like cartoonish and kind of embarrassingly cheap at times like operation mekong like dante lamb it needs to be said he makes very handsome movies um and regardless of what kind of budget he was working with this one looks solid like it has very good production values eddie peng's in there handsome as fuck this time rocking a bushy mustache which makes him doubly handsome as fuck which is distracting on the battlefield (laughs) i'm sure the enemy hesitate before they pull the trigger it's like "Mm." (laughs) i don't know i don't want to i don't want to rob the world of his presence (laughs) but he's just kind of like a supporting player in this one um actually the lead actor in it is a guy that uh has been popping up in a lot of these like pro-china like based based uh, loosely on true events movies uh zhang hanyu he is a charisma vacuum if you ask me he does nothing for me but he apparently he works for a, a billion people so i guess yeah. i'm wrong <laughs> but um yeah this one takes place in the golden triangle so it's like thai laos uh myanmar it's like a convergence points for all those countries and it's a uh, apparently this movie was like banned from thailand because it doesn't exactly make them look great. Like, it's like, yeah. oh, it's an entire nation of drug addicts and terrorists. It's like, say what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, and they probably filmed it there too. <laughs> so it's like, they probably just didn't say anything about it when they were filming it. And it's like, by the way, this is in the script. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> it's like, well, you sign the check. We're doing it. Um, it's a little awkward. Yeah, it's 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 a fi- it's a fine like military action movie. Um, it's it's kind of too serious at times um but just like the cinematography and the way it's all put together it has like that peter berg slash michael bay like weightiness to it or like the saturations dialed up um everybody in like all the military people which is basically the entire cast are played up to be like superheroes basically it's like like no boring deaths for anyone every way has to go out like a fucking champ <laughs> but um it's 
it's fine. It's not great. Um, it's not as offensive as some some other movies of this ilk. Um, but the last one I'll bring up here is uh, Operation Red Sea. Um, so that tells you Operation Mekong made a handsome profit. So let's make another Operation movie. And yeah. uh, this time let's film it in an African nation. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's more of the same. It just takes place in a desert instead of a jungle. Um, it's extraordinarily gory. I'll give it that much. Um, so it's, it again, has that lone survivor vibe to it where it's like everybody who dies has to get shot 12 times, not just once. And uh, a lot of limbs get blown off. It's very bloody. Um, I couldn't tell you much about the cast. Um, this uh, kind of has the problem where everybody's wearing helmets and most of the people in the cast are people that I don't recognize. None of the uh, familiar players I've, I've been listing off from like all those other movies that have been recurring elements for over a decade, not one of them is in this. Mm. Um, the only person I recognize in this cast by name is uh, Simon Yam, uh, who, if you've made a movie in China in the past, I don't know, 50 years, he's in it. <laughs> it's like, he's that kind of guy. He's just yeah. in it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I honestly have almost nothing to say about this one other than the... Uh, the propaganda aspect of it is dialed up even further, like almost like grossly so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little uncomfortable at times, um, but it, it is just like a you know standard military action thriller for the most part. Um, and the, the last movie of Dante Lambs that I don't own because it hasn't even been released, released to theaters yet, thanks to COVID, is called The Rescue. And uh, everything about the way it's shot and like the cast, I think Eddie Peng's back for that one. <laughs> Um, is a very very similar except instead of military people it's like rescue workers or something so it's a Mm. it would be Dante Lamb's uh, Deepwater Horizon to his lone survivor (laughs) (laughs) so instead of shoot and or uh, or a Patriot's Day I guess (laughs) instead of shooting people now we're going to be saving people but either way a lot of people are going to get blown to shit (laughs) <laughs> and uh and die heroically everybody has to die heroically god damn it <laughs> yeah it'd be funny if marky mark showed up and in <laughs> the rescue <laughs> like, I, I gotta whoa. rewatch Deepwater horizon <laughs> i haven't seen that one um peter berg is a curious filmmaker like i i don't know that he's good but he he has some weird hang-ups especially when it comes to like civil servants and military service members. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say he has like survivor's guilt or something. Like, yeah. I, I, that's my, that's my theory. Like, I think mm-hmm. I'm right too, is that he, I've seen him in interviews and he, he gets like aggressive. <laughs> like, like, like yeah. he, get, he gets really sensitive about that topic. And I want to say he's just like one of those guys that, I don't know, maybe during Vietnam or something, he felt bad for not contributing or something. It's like, dude, it's okay. You were probably like, nine (laughs) yeah Yeah, he's not that old yeah he's not that old but he like seeing him in interviews and stuff he kind of has that air about him where it's like he feels Mm -hmm. like he needs to pay back or something it's like dude it's okay (laughs) go make another entourage (laughs) uh but anyway i think that slams the book on dante lamb uh kind of goes out with a the loudest whimper <laughs> because those last two movies are definitely the highest budgeted loudest movies he's ever made mm-hmm. and yet I, they resonated with me barely at all and maybe that's because i'm american and they're clearly not targeted at me um but from a filmmaking standpoint like in terms of cinematography and editing and just structure 
they're all fine films they're mm-hmm. just like i wish you would get away from this and go back to doing the stuff that i'm more interested in yeah yeah well i mean he, he's still got time to turn it around he still he still could turn it around you never know i i mean the money's flowing pretty hard man <laughs> like like we between what the wandering earth and uh there's an there's a lot of uh the big money makers in China right now are like, uh, I mean, there's always going to be a soft spot for like mythology kind of stuff. So like Chinese mm-hmm. folklore stories and like CGI animation, they're really starting to push hard. In fact, there's one I think that just came out on Netflix not too long ago uh, that like kind of apes the, the Disney uh, CGI look to it. Um, but yeah, space, um, space stories are really, really big in Chinese movies, right? Well, blockbusters. Yeah, and and uh, military movies, uh, sp- military space movies. <laughs> like they're gonna remake Moonraker. That's that's the next step. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be down for that. I, I could be I'm, down for that. Shit, it's like yeah. Daniel Craig in Moonraker two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that wraps up our uh, fave filmmakers episodes of Tales from the Shelf. Yeah, that's all for me. Okay. Well, um, before we before we say bye bye, um, Brad, how about you let the folks at home know uh, where they can find you and your podcast? Oh yeah, I, I would love to. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, podcast is the Cinema Speak podcast. Um, you can find us basically anywhere where you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at the cinema speak or on Instagram cinema speak podcast and, uh, check us out on cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Brad. Um, and if you want to look up any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, and you can also find the podcast by looking up pretty much all the shit that Brad mentioned, pretty much any podcast host you can imagine. Um, Google us. <laughs> and uh, we do have a couple of social media accounts in the form of a Instagram, at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter, at Catching Cinema. So uh, feel free to hit me up at either of those if you so desire. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, thanks again, as always, Brad, for joining me. Um, and uh, folks at home, we will catch you next time. do the intro i introduce the thing and i say hey this is brad (laughs) 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 sorry for some reason i always forget this it's like it's only it's only been a month trevor how do you forget yeah it's like like, i got a lot on my mind my fucking car (laughs) got stolen (laughs) yeah well and it's a little bit different than the normal show so that's what another (laughs) always got a trend you know which one is which when we're doing this one too many fucking formats <laughs> like, <laughs> we have like three different types of shows and then occasionally i do your show and it's like i don't know what i'm doing who am i where am i what am i doing <laughs> it's a lot to it's a lot to process you gotta kind of you know organize it in your head <laughs>